Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lenten Rouge Cycling Podcast for the best stage recap of this year at Italia so far. Stage 20, the Monte Lusari TT. I feel really weird. Just the state <laughs> of tension that's been on the in the last hour has been crazy and i guess that is what the organizers were hoping for and they did get it today this was reminiscent of the planche de belfia tt with the mountain time trial but yeah everything was to play for i'll remind everybody of the gc standings going into the stage Geraint thomas in the malia rosa 26 seconds ahead of primoz roglic and 59 seconds of joao almeida and fourth through eighth were separated by a minute and a half, give or take. So some play in there too. Do you want to go through the profile, Benji? You've been looking up all the the rules that were made up this morning for this <laughs> TT as well, but you want to go through the profile and the intermediates. Yes, exactly. So looking into this time trial, just like every time trial, that's not the first day of a Grand Tour. The riders are starting in a reverse order from the general classification, and they're doing so in three waves, which is not usual. We often see waves of riders in the World Championships, but not in a Grand Tour time trial. And that's because of the nature of this parkour. The Monte Lusari climb, which is in this parkour, is is special in the fact that riders and motorbikes need to go up. And then there's a break of 90 minutes after the first wave for those motorbikes to be able to get off the mountain so they can follow the next wave of riders. So a logistical nightmare for whoever planned this out. But it worked out and there were no crazy things happening. So that's one aspect. It was good. Can't complain about it. When it comes to the expected bike change, because the first part is flat and then a steep mountain arrives, we're not going to see riders ride it out on a a TT bike. We're going to see them switch bike halfway through. Yeah, Dumoulin probably would have done everything on the TT bike. The man would... Go vertically on a TT bike if necessary. <laughs> but um, man's doomed. He, that's why he went to Nepal. He was reclining <laughs> if it's possible to ride from Everest Base Camp to the top of Everest on a TT bike. He's like, Savello, will you help me develop this? And it comes with an <laughs> oxygen tank fitted into the, whatever P5, whatever it is. I don't know. Jesus anyway, sorry, Christ. go on. Imagine. Anyway, that bike change, there was a specific segment in the parkour settled where riders could have their bike change. We've seen this before in the Velta a few years ago or the Twitter front a few years ago. Don't know which one it was, but this was like, this was before, before the, climb. the climb. It wasn't, wasn't just before the climb. It was like 500 meters a kilometer before the climb. Yeah. And I was like, that's a bit early, but it's probably because that was the logistically best position to do it, is well, what I'm guessing. the cars couldn't do it any later. Yeah. It's well, not the last point. The road is wide, I think. Exactly. Or that's, there's space. That's probably it. Now, we saw at some point a few years ago that Enric Moss try to do a, a bike change after the designated zone. We didn't yeah. see crazy stuff like that today. Everybody switched their bike in the zone that was settled up. Once again, Roglic was changing into a, a special gravel gear ratio like yesterday, which he tested yesterday on Terichime de Lavaredo. <laughs> yeah. But not only do some riders change their bike, we saw Salvatore Puccio, first of all, change their helmet. Yeah. And is that because of the heat? 
No, it's the weight of the helmet. So those big old Aero TT helmets weigh 150, 200 grams more. And, okay. you know, I, I'm, I was surprised not to see riders with shaved heads today. You've got better make sure you've peed before this TT as well because we haven't done the profile in full 20Ks. The first 11Ks, you'll be mistaken for thinking it's flat. It really isn't flat. It has a lot of little pickups in it. And the first intermediate time check is at 10.5Ks. Uh, Amateur Pirelli on Twitter, uh, he estimated they do like 33% of the actual time of the TT on this quote-unquote flat section. And then they turn onto the, the climb up to Monte Lusari, which is a climb in two parts, averages 8Ks, 11%, but the first 4.5, no, 4.7Ks is 15%. Now, uh, Gabriel estimated in, the, in his climbing article before the Giro that it would take X amount of time, but I think given the actual what's happened today, that 15% is, yeah. a, is a lie. Because Zonkalan is exactly the same, 5K, 15%, but mm-hmm. the road surface today made them all go so much lower than expected. And I very much doubt everyone was doing way lower what's than expected. So the road surface basically makes this 17% or so. And so then there's another 2K sort of 8% and 4% section before quite a technical 500 meter finish after the third intermediate. Uh, And there's like a descent in there. So how would Rog go with low gearing doing a descent we saw coos just tucked up on that descent he didn't pedal although i'm not sure what gearing he was using he went with the road helmet and then there's a final punch to the line but yeah that's uh, there was also warnings for riders who did the triathlon like unclipping their helmet and taking it off before they dismounted g went with the dismount and do the helmet anyway benji we've buried the lead here one of the craziest tts ever Primoz Roglic wins this time trial, but that's <laughs> not the surprise. He wins it by 40 seconds ahead of Geraint Thomas and 42 seconds ahead of Joao Almeida with a drop chain <laughs> during the climb. That's where the drama came from, where that's where this Giro and this stage went from like crazy to all-time memorable because... We see him slowly gaining on G, four yeah. seconds, eight seconds on the climb, to 15 seconds, to mechanical, and we think he's gone. He's yeah. lost 10 back. He's not going to take 26 seconds back. And then all of a sudden, we don't really get any checks, and then we see G creeping in the final. And this was, yeah, this was literally a rerun of Planche de Belfi. Yeah, that's the crazy aspect of it. now. The tension already started before we got to the climb itself because they're starting three minutes apart, if I recall correctly. We see Almeida go through the first time checking fast, beating Caruso by quite a bit. Not a major amount because Caruso had a pretty damn good time trial. And then after that, we see Thomas doing... No, Roglic first. We see Roglic beating Almeida by by three, four seconds. And then a bit later, Thomas does a, a time which was worse than Roglic. And then we get to the, the, this is after the bike change, right? And Oh, I think T1 might be just after the, yeah, T1 might be just after the bike change, yeah. The bike change was a special one because yeah. Roglic has the, has the generic bike, bike change. Almeida had the smoothest bike, check of, yeah, bike change of all three, real. I think. It was just jump off the bike, jump <laughs> so on the next bike, 
cyclocross style ride off. Primash had a similar one in the same type. He just switched bike, and I feel he like keeps the, the mechanic helmet on. That's true. He keeps his normal helmet on, and we see that it kind of is slower than the Almeida one. I don't know if the mechanical the mechanic slipped or anything, but no, there was something that. Slow. <laughs> By the way. Is it marginal gains if you get someone that is, for example, an expert at like pushing bobsledding teams? Yeah, luge <laughs> professional. Really? No, I don't know if the guy pushing him up was a luge <laughs> professional, but I'm saying you should get. I mean, sorry, yes, as a as a consultant, I went and sourced a <laughs> Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> Fuck. Um, no, I just think they, yeah, Rog was a little bit, you know, more cumbersome than, uh, than Almeida G and he, anyway, he keeps, sorry, he keeps the cursed helmet on. The helmet is still cursed at this point because it's the Planche de Belfi helmet. He didn't uncurse it. The Olympics did not uncurse that helmet. Did Bernal uncurse that helmet by winning the Giro after a time trial? Was it because it wasn't the mountain time trial? It was still cursed. Bernal wasn't wearing the laser cursed helmet. He was. He was wearing a pink laser, no? I sw- no MVDP. Uh, I swear, Bernal. No, Bernal Bernal is a different brand. You're right. <laughs> so it's, it's still cursed at this it. point. It's got it's gold on it. <laughs> it's, beca- it's because I photoshopped the laser helmet on him the same morning, and I ah, probably think sense. it's real. <laughs> anyway, G goes with at T uh, at the t- bike change, the most leisurely helmet change. It was like me after I've had two coughs and a carrot cake. <laughs> After the calf stop, putting my helmet back on, like, oh, hey, don't I reckon? And I reckon British fans were like, and in your sounds like, gee, a bit, a bit of urgency, please. <laughs> anyway, Luke said that our producer said that he lost around seven seconds yep. on that um, time check, time uh, bike change. Now, there's a reason they're changing helmet. We already said weight and also heat. Those they're about to do this climb at 15 kph or less. Ilan van Wilder was wearing the fucking snood, which must have been so hot on the climb because it's covering your ears. You're doing full gas, six and a half watts per kilo, whatever, more in the corners, and your ears are fully covered like that. And yeah, it's not 35 degrees, but still, you go and do that even in 15 degrees, your head is going to fry, at least from what I could think. So Rog's at a disadvantage now, but G's given him seven seconds for free, essentially. So he's got to make that up on the, with the helmet change. And then we get onto the climb. Rog, I love the eye test in TTs. I always do. I, I was like, Rog looks fine. Almeida didn't look good. Now, Pog oh. was... In Planche Belfi, was Pog first at T1 on the flat? He was like first all intermediates, right? Yeah. I'll get into the time splits table in a second. I'll just run to you through my eye test experience. Almeida on the climb seemed to me a little bit maybe undergeared in some sections, especially for a guy that doesn't want to get out of the saddle all the time and wants to spin the whole time, at least from what I would see. Um, but he was going okay, but then we saw at T2... It wasn't going to be like a pog repeat, at least from him in the white jersey today, uh, at least putting a minute into G. Rog looked fine. G Benji looked... It's tough, right? Because he's always in a big gear. He's a big gear grinder on the flat, but he had a lot of salt stains. 
I didn't think G looked too good, to be honest. And when I saw when I saw the time going to eight seconds, even though you can't trust them, I thought this could get out of hand really quickly because this climb is so fucking hard. And if you have nothing left for the last three Ks, you can lose another 20 seconds. And the broadcasting didn't necessarily help in making it very clear to us whether the gap was expanding or whether it no. was stagnating because we're switching from rider to rider at every time check without much footage in between the time checks because the only thing we really had was motorbikes with some riders. For example, in the, in the last wave of riders, the most important riders, the GC riders, then we had motorbikes with the most important riders. I feel like Almeida was kind of left to the side at the start of the climb. The first half of the climb, I didn't see Almeida too often. And then we get to the second part where we see Almeida quite a bit more going into the last half of the climb as he was also having the first time. So because they were probably thinking, okay, maybe he can do well here. Obviously, Thomas and Roglic both do better than Almeida at the, at the time checks on the climb itself. And I feel like the moment the mechanical happened, like you said, I was like, he was on his way to win this Giro and yeah. he just lost the Giro. I had completely so given up on Roglic when that mechanical happened. Yeah, me too. I was, I was thinking this is over because the amount of time he lost standing there was 19 seconds. It was 19 seconds was it between 19? his... 19 be between stopping and starting pedaling again, according to Raul Bancari on Twitter. So that's insane. That means that if he didn't have that mechanical, considering that he must go get up to speed after pedaling again, and mental. he would have won this time trial by a minute and five, a minute and 10 seconds, probably. Maybe. I mean, he did get a decent push. So how much does he save off that push? It wasn't the the luge push but there's also the stress <laughs> the adrenaline spike the mental like fuck did i just lose the jira because i dropped my chain and yeah like probably not the uh the marketing story the shram one by wanted because he rode i think over a pothole or a, hit a bump or something and the chain just dropped off off the one by so like it's gonna be tough for them how do they say yeah he won the tt on this setup but he dropped the fucking chain <laughs> so yeah um maybe just i don't know but that was crazy and then we see nothing you're right benji but then hatch said he was hearing whispers on comms on gcn plus that g was struggling and then we finally get a camera on g because he's the last on the road and it's a point on the course we haven't seen any other riders ride yet so i'm usually benji will attest to this Oh, my God. estimations when i see a guy at 500 meters i'll tell you within a second his finishing time and but you couldn't do that you couldn't because it's yeah, yeah I, i've got no reference 800 meters to go he's got two and a half minutes to play with because he's got to finish within 26 seconds but this course just keeps going and going and going i'm like here's the final corner here's the downhill no then there's the next downhill and then there's a the little pickup <laughs> but to be honest the second that it switched back to Thomas, after Roglic had his mechanical... He looked fucked. He looked terrible. His, the way he was moving on the bike was very different from when he started the climb. He looked like he had... He was visibly going slower than what Roglic was doing on the same segments we saw a bit earlier. And yeah, maybe Roglic was fired up after having the mechanical, but it was so bloody clear that something was off and his face was grimacing everywhere across the road. And... It became even more clear to me once the ticker got up because I, I had already memorized how much time he, well, other riders had at certain points. And when I saw that, I was like, he's going to lose like a minute. 
I, I was thinking a minute instead of like 40 seconds in this damn trial. So I was on the on the spot, like, oh, Primoz is actually still winning this, which we got we got to set the scene for a second. Primoz Rogic three years ago lost the Tour de France in the last mountain time trial at Planche de Belfie against Pogacar, completely melting away on Planche de Belfie on the climb itself, already being slower on the first segment. He underperformed. People say, oh, Pogacar overperformed. Yes, he did. 100% yeah, yeah, he overperformed. Sure. But Roglic also underperformed because if you take a look at who was faster on that climb, those are riders Bagi. that he should also beat. Yeah. Cavagna was close. Yeah. Like, he underperformed. Exactly. So now in today's time trial, Thomas, would you say he underperformed? No, I definitely wouldn't say that. No way. Okay. I think Thomas, okay, maybe. I didn't say this yesterday, but if you look at the criticisms of the Shimano power meter that Ineos use is their supplier, and I don't know if he was using a different one that they could put on the pedals, like a Favero or a, or a Four Eye or whatever. If you look at, go watch GP Lama Shane Miller's video. Go watch DC Raymaker's video. Don't take my word from it. Take my word for it. Take it from people who do this stuff for a living. The biggest problem those power meters have is on high torque, mm -hmm. big gradients yep. in the small ring. And for pros, that's usually not too much of a problem because even on 5%, 8%, maybe it's not too much of a problem, but there's consistency issues or overreading or whatever um, when it gets really steep with the, or, or in the small chain, chain ring, it can do with those power meters. Now, that's a risk. That's probably not all units. I don't know. Again, I just thought, is that in play? Has he mispaced this TT because of that? Probably not, to be honest, because he still beat Almeida. Um, did it cost him 10, 15 seconds? Because the gap to Roglic Benji, if we yep. can trust those, it seemed to really go out in the last two Ks. Yep. Very much. And you would argue that that is the portion that starts kicking up again after the flatter part in Monte Lusari, because there's like the steep wall, then you've got the flatter part, and then you've got the steep section again. It's in those last two kilometers that he really gets damaged, it seems, against Primoz here. But I will say, however, we're jumping back and forth a lot in this time trial because it was a crazy time trial, and we got to note everything down. I do want to mention there was a lot of drama on the internet during the time trial before we got to the climb that Roglic was doing puppy paws in this time trial, but the rule for that is pretty clear as yeah, as clear as it gets. It says the following. It says, um, I looked it up during the race, but now I can't actually find it. Furthermore, using the, for, uh, the forearms as a point of support on the handlebars is prohibited except in time trials. And yeah, if it's allowed in time trials, then he can do that here, regardless yeah. of whether it's on a road bike, regardless of whether it's on a TT bike. It's clear that the rule says so, so... I think the UCI also made clear, or the Commissaire also made clear already that it's allowed or something, yeah. I heard from a commentator. So it's allowed. Discussion over. He didn't break any rules. And I guess, is that on Yumbo a marginal gain advantage, you would say, that they researched if this was <laughs> possible? Or it's probably five times more likely to crash himself. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it with Roglic. <laughs> Um, he, hit, he hit that bump somehow he dropped his fucking chain on a climb how did he do that how this guy do that I was like are you kidding he dropped his well, chain on a climb Thomas did it as well with a Wi-Fi 
was like, come on. <laughs> you should see Coop's face. That's the new, it's the, you know, the Doomal and Van Art meme? Yeah. You know, at the Portugal Fear, this is the, I thought this is the new one. Because Coos <laughs> was like, are you kidding me? And so Omen. Omen was fuming. Anyway, I didn't really fully answer your question about Thomas. Under, I don't know. Thomas, this TT is his worst nightmare. Yep. He's good on a 45-kilometer rolling light medium mountain, non-technical, cold TT. That's the perfect TT but for Thomas. That being said, I did feel going into this time trial that I was uncertain because he was so consistent in the last week that it wouldn't have shocked me if he actually performed at a high level and was able to sustain Roglic. But Roglic was also fucking good today. Eh? But, that, but that's the point, though. That's to this... Uh, I want to get to the what could Ineos have done. That's, that's more could Ineos have done anything differently discussion. But yeah. I think fresh, what per kilo test, 18%, again, physics, with no drafting at all, Thomas is at a disadvantage. It's just the yeah. reality. He's heavier than Rog. He did. He he beat Almeida, and Almeida's lighter than him. I think. Like yeah. it's all working against him. So, but then that's into the question: Should they know? Anyway, I should do the actual time splits um, for the people who. To be honest, there's nothing too much that stands out to me apart from GC Coos, who could have top five this Giro, 18th at T1, second from T1 to the finish. So his pacing strategy was obviously just whack the climb. Roglic, first at every single intermediate, first at T1 by two seconds ahead of Thomas. That's where I thought, because, okay, let's say that's a five-second performance delta because Thomas gave him seven seconds in the helmet change. I thought Thomas would be up more, actually, at T1. Yeah, but... Could that be pacing because Thomas was scared for the climb that he decided to pace slower than he would do on a completely flat time trial? Because if it's yeah. completely flat, then I'd still expect him to, do, to be at 10, 15 seconds instead of like the seven seconds minus the, no, the nine seconds minus the seven of the bike change. <laughs> yeah. I got, I'm getting my head in a spin. Moth, Jesus Christ. Almeida was four seconds behind Roglic at T1. So those three were split by four seconds. Again, at T2 now, we've just started a bit into the climb, uh, a fair bit into the climb, 20 minutes into the climb. I think this is before the chain drop. This is before the chain drop. Roglic is 16 seconds ahead of uh, Thomas. So I'm now trying to do maths on the fly. 20 minutes into the climb with 10 minutes left, 16 seconds. That means he needs to take another 10 seconds in 10 minutes. Can someone do the maths? How many? 20 minutes, 16 seconds, which is per minute, less than a second per minute, which means that with 10 minutes left, yeah, Roglic actually wasn't on pace. Wasn't on pace to take back 26 seconds. My maths might be wrong. Luke's probably doing it to confirm. Yeah, but that's if we consider it linear, eh? No, no, that's what I mean. I'm considering this purely in a linear. Both are yeah. doing their best pacing strategy. I'm just linearly, that's how it would work. Then T3, eight minutes later, post Roglic losing 19 seconds, let's say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it 15. Post Roglic losing 15 seconds with the uh, chain drop, G was 29 seconds behind. So which 
on non-chain drop, 29 plus 15 is 44. So G lost on the road, let's say, 28 seconds in the eight minutes between T2 and T3. Yep. 28 seconds. So as you said, Benji, his time loss was not linear. Either Roglic sped up and his power went up, but I would be surprised, or Thomas is flattened. That's with the mechanical in that segment, no? No, no. So I've subtracted out the mechanical okay, and said if the mechanical hadn't have happened, Roglic would have taken 28 oh. seconds in that eight-minute segment. Instead, he it. didn't. Even with the mechanical, he's 29 seconds ahead. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot more sense because I was on the, on the, wrong, on the wrong space there. But that does mean that Thomas cracked basically after, after that, so like during that segment, at the start of that segment, because somewhere in that segment, Thomas started losing way more time than he did before. Mm. And would you say that as a consequence of the mechanical, Primoz... How, would have had like an adrenaline boost to go even harder or something? Is I mean, that a maybe. real thing? It, yeah, adrenaline for sure is real, but it can also <laughs> be that you suddenly start pushing at 500 watts because you're panicking yeah. and you fuck yourself. So yeah. I don't think it's necessarily, I don't <laughs> think it nets out of the net possible. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so you're not telling me that yeah, you Jumbo should, should plan a mechanical every time trial with Roglic now? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> T3 then, as I said, Almeida was also, he'd lost a fair bit of time. And this is the, uh, if I look at the T3 to the finish, at T3, Almeida was 40 seconds behind Roglic. To the finish, he only lost, and there's only two minutes to the finish. So, wow, this is a big difference. Yeah, Thomas did blow up. He did. Here's the proof, according to PCS timetables. Roglic was the quickest T3 to the finish. 2 minutes 03. It's a very short run-in. It's the undulating technical run-in. Almeida only 2 seconds slower. Pino only 3 seconds slower. G was 15th. Behind Aronsman, behind Ricciatello, behind his teammate Deplus, just in front of Kemner, behind Butrago, behind Cohn Bowman. So G lost 11 seconds in, in the last 2 minutes of this time trial. And that's that's the GC gone basically in the last three minutes of this TT. That's crazy. Now we, we got to talk about this. Now we've, we've spoken through the time trial when it comes to rug versus Thomas, we can talk a bit later about people that also yeah, did well, for example, a, a Riccitello, for example, Riccitello, the American good time in this time trial. McNulty was pretty damn strong. The Americans in general did really bloody strong, including GC Cuss. <laughs> Free America. But were you surprised to see Thibaut Pinot do this, this, this in the time trial? Thibaut Pinot, hats off to him. This was an unbelievable TT uh, finishing. Well, first, fourth was Caruso on 55 seconds, 13 seconds behind Almeida. Fifth, Car Pino on 59 seconds. Sixth, Coos, 105. Seventh, McNulty, 107. Very good TT from him. Aronsman, eighth, 118. Lechnesund, a brilliant TT, actually. I didn't see much footage of him. I wanted to see him grinding. 149, J-Vine rounds out the top 10 on 153. A very nice result for UAE, actually. Three in the top 10. But yeah, that Pino one, Kus, I'm not surprised by, frankly. 
The yep. Pinot one is an absolute standout TT. And if you look at his splits, he was actually quite fast to T1, eighth, the part he would struggle at. And then he paced this beautifully, gradually reducing his positions from sixth at T2 to fifth at T3 and finished fifth with a strong, uh, really, really punchy finish and also handled the technical section well. He's a good bike handler, I think, and took some calculated risks. So he, we should do the revised GC, Benji. The, yeah, we should. Oh, I should do the other GC guys. Camner oh, on okay. 218, I lost a fair bit of time. Dunbar probably was the big guy that struggled today. He, I thought he would do better, actually. Um, he was on 303, so he really struggled on the climb. If I look, I want to find his T1 to the finish uh, because I presume he's... Yeah, so Dunbar blew up. He was 34th in the last two and a half minutes. On and um, he was slow to T1 and just okay on the climb. So maybe the fatigue catching up with him. So the revised GC now, not too many changes outside of Dunbar uh, falling down a spot and Roglic, of course. Roglic goes into the Malia Rosa ahead of the stage tomorrow, 14 seconds ahead of Thomas. Almeida stays in third on 115 with a big gap to Caruso at 440. Pino moves into fifth. Shouldn't let him in that breakaway. <laughs> he was smart to keep riding. 5.43, I mean, is he going to be mad about giving the stage to Zana? I don't think so. Fifth on GC is pretty good. 5.43, Aronsman moves up to sixth on 6.05. He, he could have been fifth if Pino didn't pull out that blinder. Dunbar drops down two spots to seventh. I think it's a bit of a shame for him. His level was better than seventh in this Giro, but he just, yeah, lost a lot today. Lechnersund, eighth. That's a big turn up. One second behind Dunbar, two. On 7.31, Kamner drops down to 7.46. Deplus cements 10th on 9.08. No other big changes of note. So, Pino, you, are, you already said, Menji, but Aronsman 6th, that's got to be a nice result for his confidence too. Uh, and Lechnerson, Benji, that I, I, when he took pink, I thought, okay, nice, yeah. whatever. I never thought he had the quality with this parkour to finish not just 10th, 9th, yeah exactly like it wasn't the most crazy first two weeks in terms of gc so being out there after week two was necessarily not a surprise but in two week three i thought he's gonna fall out of the top 10 because i didn't expect him to be as consistent on the longer mountains and so forth now even the trichime stage wasn't based extraordinary but on monte bondone the guy held up in the top 10 yes he lost time there but that's obvious but he stayed in the top 10. He stays ahead of Kemna, which I did not see happening, to be honest. And a wonderful performance. The rumors are half confirmed at this point. Nor Norwegian television has confirmed that he's going to UNOX. So that's a, a hell of a signing for UX. Like a guy that can top 10 a Grand Tour. Yes, a Grand Tour where half the people are out. But that doesn't matter because half the Giros have half the people going out these days. So this can happen again in the future because this guy is super young. And was on the brink of breakout for so long. I swear yeah. we saw him win smaller races last year. Arctic Race of Norway, if I recall correctly, yeah, in the final break. stage. And he's been so prominent in attacks. I think it was in Montreal, where he was up the yeah. road for quite a while. I picked him for and worlds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, was an outsider pick, though, so I can't yeah. blame you for that. He's not terrible at time trials, but he's also... Pretty good in the mountain ones, I would say, clearly after today. It's, it's a He's hell of a performance. In. There's a lot of youngsters that we 
we learn to know throughout this Grand Tour, eh? The likes of the Israel youngsters, G, Frigo, all those guys, we... Hey, hey, Berwick. Sorry, but... He was good. Okay, Dens, right? And Scruins made no sense. He would have won <laughs> that stage. Yeah, all right. G was probably a little bit better than Berwick, but my boy was good too. Um, Richard <laughs> great TT, it must be said. Uh, yeah. Even Aurelian Parry Pantra and Valentine, the, the PP brothers, they... No, they were really good. Yeah. I thought they were, for Valentine's 22 years old, their goal, if you read, I was probably the, one of the only Anglophones to read the Asia2R pre-Giro press release of the goals. Um, <laughs> their goal was the top 15 with APP. Yeah. They've got that. He's in 15th. They also won a stage. So that is yeah. a good Giro, plus just some learnings, like the way Valentine worked for him on that other stage. I can't remember which one. So... Yeah, not, a lot of nice stuff. Even Van Wilder, I, I really, I, Van Wilder should have gone in a break. He, he should have finished higher than 12th if he could have gotten a break. But he also had one teammate or two teammates. Um, yeah. Should we do the discussion now, Benji? Yeah. Could Ineos have done anything differently? Should they have seen this coming? Could Ineos have done anything differently in the stages that came before today, I would say? Because yeah. in the time trial, I'd say, well, we're talking hindsight for the time trial. But when it comes to the other stages, there's certain moments where we were like, are they playing too defensively? Especially in the first two weeks, I felt like we were, we were saying, why are they not using Hart and Thomas to attack, for example? Could they have gained time on these occasions? Stuff like that. But I'll be straight up honest. After the first two weeks, they were in a good position. They were in a position where they were defending. The Malio Rosa after your boy at M. Kuevenpool was out of the race after his COVID, where Hart, unfortunately for Ineos, which... Huge loss. Huge. Yeah. A major loss, because I'll be honest about it, Hart could have competed for the victory of this Giro d'Italia 100% the way he was riding the time trials. I think it's not outrageous to say that he might have won this Giro. Oh, but, he would, he's better suited to this final TT than G. Yeah, exactly. And he hadn't shown any any proper weakness either in the first two weeks, except no. for losing time with a crash that happened in front of him. So that's not really his fault necessarily outside of potential positioning. But I'll be honest, after two weeks, I was like, they're in a good position. They're probably where they want to be defending the Malia Rosa, because if you're behind Roglic going into the final week, that's going to be troublesome. Were there moments in week three where Thomas could have countered Roglic or Almeida and gained even more time? Probably. But I mean, those, those moments were so minimal, in my opinion, that I can't really blame him for not trying to benefit from that. I don't know. I, well, I understand, but... I mean, stage 14 got nerfed, or 13 rather, Kranz Montana. So yeah. no one's trying anything there. If you just pace for the stage win after 2,000 kilojoules, Rog beats you in the sprint. Stage 15 is... A sort of Lombardia territory. Bondone, he, Yumbo and UAE already lit it up. He did attack Roglic. He did pace with Almeida, and he beats Almeida anyway. Yeah. So stage 16, he did the max. Then we look at the stage on Thursday where they did kind of pace and make the race actually really hard, and Rog was good, and he stuck with him, and they gained 20 seconds on Almeida. Yeah, and I don't I don't really see what they could have done differently there. Why, why would you chase the break? But they still made the stage super fatiguing. Exactly. And on that stage, we were like, 
maybe he could counter the next day, learning from this moment that Roglic didn't drop him here. Yeah. And he did that the next day. He learned from that moment and it backfired. He lost three seconds. So I don't blame Thomas for using the strategy he did. I would say that they got unlucky with hard and that could have changed the Giro entirely. Yeah. But maybe they could have they tried could have more with Jow. the plus and Arden's more. They... But they, they got five riders. Yeah. So you pace Jao full gas with, you can't do it with Swift or Puccio. It has to be one of Deplus Ironsman. So it's going to be Deplus. And then, I mean, it depends, right? It depends on your modeling. It depends on what they expect from the TT. Like before this Giro, Benji, on this mm -hmm. sort of TT, fresh, and I know Rog hadn't looked that good, but wouldn't you expect Roglic to take 30 seconds on Thomas on this TT? Well, I'll be honest with the trauma of Roglic's past mountain time trials. Yeah. I was I mean, completely uncertain about this one. rationally speaking. But rationally speaking, without emotions included of the riders, without if riders were robots based on data, yeah. then yes. Then Roglic should have been the strongest on this time trial. But humans have emotions, and Yeah, and they <laughs> so, drop chains. <laughs> so yeah. I, I was not confident in Roglic. I was not confident in Thomas. I was very confident in Almeida for three weeks. Yeah, we, we were very confident in Almeida. Didn't do nothing in this TT. <laughs> anyway, the only thing I can think of, and we'll probably do more of a post-mortem, post-the-final stage, would be... Aaronsman and De Plus in breakaways, being more yeah. aggressive with them because, you know, we were saying, what is the point of keeping them in GC if not to use yeah. them? I accept they have five riders, but yeah. Um, anyway, th that's all hindsight. We don't know their data internally, um, but yeah. It's, it's also, as you said, he did a shine attack Roglic yesterday and. He flicked himself and lost three yeah. seconds. So, I mean, I think if he counters Roglic straight away, could it have been a different story, but also maybe he couldn't. Like, the riders aren't robots. Maybe G's got a really good mask and yeah. he was fucked and had to recover a bit. I don't know. Very possible. And, like, there's so much in this where, for example, we were very critical of Jumbo Visma in the Tour de France 2020 because there were active moments where Roglic could have taken time. <laughs> Roglic dropped people. Yeah, and, and they didn't. They didn't benefit from that. They had weird-ass strategies that led to them not gaining time in moments where they could have clearly lost time. Even on, the, for example, the echelon stage where Pogaccio was behind. Yeah, Pogaccio was not the ultimate favorite for that Tour de France at that point, but I saw him as a threat. You saw him as a threat. Port was we were, behind too, I think. Yeah, Port was indeed behind. So Wout van didn't start pacing for Roglic to gain more time on a, on a, on a Pogaccio at that point. And in further... Yeah. Like Peresurda, for example, where was it Roglic that didn't start pacing with Quintana or something? Like, because he thought Pogacar wasn't a danger? He was marking Bernal and then Pog went up the road and Pog did big, big numbers that day. But still, yeah, but Rog was unexpected. doing big numbers all, all Tour de France too. So during that Tour de France, there were active moments where we were like, Yumbo fucked up. We said yeah, that every, yeah. almost every single day during that. To the France in the lead up to that time trial. And the day before the time trial, I was like, mate, the gap is too large. Pogacar cannot win this Tour de France. Was and then, then he did. <laughs> yeah. after, after like 19 days of saying it's going to backfire on Yumbo, <laughs> we switched around the day before it actually backfired. But, but 
Yeah, there's no clear-cut cases here yeah. uh, that I can think of. I mean, maybe if you think, yeah, like Yumbo already paced Bondone hard. So what you know, what were Ineos supposed to do? Yumbo and then yeah. UAE dropped everybody. So it's there are less things. Maybe some minor things could have played with with Aronsman and Deplus. Um But yeah, and that's I also thought that's why this could happen today because yeah. G had been reluctant to try anything. Almeida had to force the issue on Bondone. I was like, well, it's every man for himself here on the TT. Um, but yeah, I'll be interested to see like there's better people with the data and the graphs and everything on like the time losses, what they think G what happened in this TT. I think he did a fine enough performance, but did lose 11 seconds in the last two and a half minutes. So that is a, that is also a question mark regarding uh, pacing, but we should probably talk a little bit about Roglic Benji. What this means for him and his legacy now winning the Jira by a very, very small margin, 14 seconds. I thought if it was less than 10, if mm-hmm. I was Ineos, I would have gone for the stage and Bonies tomorrow. I mean, if it was even 12 seconds, I would have gone for that. I yeah, but it's not happening. No, now like, they can't. It's 14 seconds. There was a reaction by Thomas Baha after the race, though. He said it's better to lose by this much than by a second or two. Yeah, I yeah. agree, because otherwise everybody would have crucified them for switching their helmet. <laughs> Imagine yeah, if he loses it by like... him time. Yeah, but that's what that's what people will do as a response, eh? And he said, at least Primoz smashed me. To be honest, Primoz deserved it, especially with the mechanical as well. Chapeau to him. So hats off to G for being so classy in his in his uh in his loss here, because the last stage is gonna be ceremonial. I don't expect GC action to happen tomorrow, even if the gap was less than 10 seconds. I would have tried it. Um anyway, <laughs> I'm a terrible person. <laughs> Um, this is Roglic season so far. Three stage wins at Terreno, a win at Tur- and then the overall. Two stage wins at Catalonia, and then the overall. No, oh, he did win. T- oh, he won today's stage. True. Um, wins today's stage, and the GC at the Giro. And I must say, in kind of atypical fashion, he wasn't really. I mean, he was the he was really the best today, Benji. But and he was the best on Fossombrone, but. There were some really big wobbles, and we were saying in the road stages in this in the road stages in this third week, G yeah. looked just as good, if not better, at moments. Um, but the TT is also so disproportionately important. But now he's won the Vuelta three times, and now the Giro d'Italia. Obviously, just missing the Tour de France, where he's uh, been on the podium once, actually, because he abandoned the last two. Um, but yeah, huge win for him. Like you can say, what about Remco? What about Teo? But Rolich well, has crashed out of like 17 grand tours too. So it's kind of yeah. swings and roundabouts. Exactly. For example, what do we say about Dalgan Hart in 2020 when he won the Giro, for example, half of the people crashed out as well or COVIDed out as well. That's what happens in races. That happens. And we joke around, around about the asterisk is that or like with races and so forth. There's no asterisks. As a Vincenzo Nibali fan, I get roasted all the time because Vincenzo Nibali only wins Grand Tours when Kreisweg rides into an ice wall, when Contador crashes after losing 17 decades in a cobble stage against Vincenzo Nibali. It's his own damn fault. And that hurts me as a Vincenzo Nibali fan. (laughs) I do acknowledge that other people crashed out, but... They still won the race. Surviving three weeks is important if you want to win a race. That's 
and there's that's luck. one of our our many big sayings on the podcast oh you gotta do all 21 stages to win yeah you do <laughs> well technically you don't necessarily if the first race is a prologue you can actually dnf the prologue and still start the official oh, next stage the last time so yeah. technically you don't need to finish all 21 stages that's a a fun fact for you but i do want to i do want to round up for a second that we're now podcasting together for for three years 2020 three and a half years roughly i would say at the tour de france 2020 was our our first grand tour after doing plue and stage 20 the mountain time trial of that fourth season <laughs> okay fourth season it feels like three years because all the time would you feel so new uh, anyway <laughs> the mountain time trial that Pogacar destroyed Roglic was the first like major uh, that podcast was our best podcast of that year right of our first season so, yeah in terms of numbers in terms of the the passion of the community towards it how the people felt towards it and there's probably a lot of you that are listening or watching that have listened to us ever since that year because yeah. we only just started for a month at that point so for everybody that stuck along with us throughout these grand tours i do want to throw a major thank you to everyone for the support and i feel like at the end of a grand tour an episode probably quite a bit of people will watch or listen to is a good moment to say that no i i echo those thoughts and thanks for sticking with us through this Giro as well the support and the and the uh the listenership of the podcast has been outstanding much better than we could have hoped for actually and yeah, we're very, very proud of that and thankful to you all for listening. We hope you have enjoyed those podcasts uh, or these podcasts. We'll obviously be keeping it. We're not finishing. We're not, <laughs> we're not quitting. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's good to step back and take stock and say, wow, this is our like, what, 12th Grand Tour or something. Um, and for all our complaining and yeah i do i'm you know i'm a whinging australian sometimes this was a damn exciting finish yeah. uh we're filled with drama and maybe there could have been a few more cameras or something on the course uh but yeah it was super exciting i'm sure very very stressful for all the teams because it's a difficult tt to plan for but very very exciting uh finish and yeah what do you um any last thoughts on this on this time trial, Benji, I keep looking at the time splits table, but to be honest, it's just, there's not, there's not too much to say with the Man, mountain time trial. Drone erasure. Oh yeah, yeah. The you're the drone expert. Yeah. I'm the drone expert. I've flown a drone once and it got so far from me that it disconnected and fell into a field. So I'm not sure I would classify myself as a drone expert, but about the drone, this drone in this race was smoothly, perfectly <laughs> implemented. Good. It wasn't there often, but it was there in the sense that it was so smooth that I didn't really realize it was a drone at first. Because like, it, the camera was so smooth, the flying was so smooth. A very major difference compared to Catalonia, where we had that Spanish champion drone racing guy flying around riders, riding half a meter next to them <laughs> while Vinga was doing the time trial. I'm glad to see that it was so well implemented and for the complaining of them during the zero for the TV directing, which was suboptimal. That's being very friendly to the TV director. It's a Belgian guy, so I might lose my passport again. So this drone footage was good, right? Yeah, it was good. It was smooth. It looked like it was coming from a helicopter. I couldn't really tell the difference. It was very, very good. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting. Uh, I guess we got a preview. If there's any other other questions or anything else to say, 
we've got a preview tomorrow's stage, which you say is a procession. I say everything's to race for. 127Ks from Rome to Rome on the coast or... I know it says Rome E U E U R on the profile. I know that both Romes are in Europe. Maybe they finish in the Vatican, which I'm not sure is in the, in the Schengen region. Anyway, they do a city crit circuit to finish. It, it does have an intermediate sprint point. It does have bonus seconds with 27 Ks to go, which I thought were going to be in play for GC after the mechanical of Roglic. They won't be anymore. And then obviously there's the sprint finish. Uh, who have you got, Benji? I- I've got to go with Milan. He was... Well, we didn't talk about the time. They changed the OTL limits this morning to 50% or something, or 30 Like, they just made the OTL limits so big that Milan couldn't... I mean, well, yes. We, we should talk about it. Yeah. There's the reaction on people... Because then people say on Twitter, maybe traditionalists, and say, hold I on. I said it. Oh, well, yeah, are you? They say a traditionalist. Hold I'm on. I'm not a traditionalist. Yeah, you are now. <laughs> <laughs> these guys knew the rules this is in the road book these are in the rules everyone's racing to these rules mm-hmm. and then you change them on the morning of the TT if I'm Derek G in Israel second in the Malia Ciclamino competition I'm like what the fuck yep. now Milan there's no risk of him OTLing when he might have on a climb that a TT that everyone knew was coming with all the rules that we had in play what's that about so I don't like the OTL percentage that we have. The percentage that a rider is allowed to be behind the winner in any stage of the Giro d'Italia. In the Tour de France, we have the battles at the end of stages. Jakobsen coming, arriving, and Peragut, I'm pretty sure, just before the time limit reaches. That is a legendary narrative. We're hearing that Merku is behind because he's feeling ill and therefore OTLs the race. It's also protection, I feel like for riders that are ill and should not be riding this race in the first place anymore. So I think there's two aspects there. In this Giro, we do not have that. As in, we've got a time limit, we've got a percentage, but it's so wide that it never really came into play at any point. And when it comes to the time trial, I'm less annoyed by it extending in the time trial than I am in the general feeling of the time limit being so wide in the Giro. Yes, it expanded in this time, uh, in this time trial. If, for, I, I'm going to quote, my girlfriend here for a second, my fiance, she says that if it stayed at 30% today, then three riders would have been out of time. But that is keeping in mind that all these riders knew that there was 50%. So it didn't go hard to make it in 30% in the first True, place. they wouldn't have OTL'd. So, all right. It's much to do about nothing then. Exactly. Milan wouldn't have been OTL'd regardless. All right. Still, if I was Israel, I still would have been like, come on. Um, anyway. He's my pick for tomorrow's sprint stage because he's still in the race. Cav is still here too. I didn't think he'd make it. Uh, I thought it, he would have gone to go prepare for the Tour de France and not flog his legs, but he's here. But the lead out's been a bit suboptimal. Bahrain will now deploy, I presume, Haig and everyone to the lead out for Milan. Uh, but who have you got, Benji? Because Ackerman won the last welter stage too and his legs look pretty sprightly. He's just ain't as quick as Johnny. Yeah. Or have you got someone else? His legs look sprightly if the road goes uphill. (laughs) That's the Mm. odd thing. Akinmon's kind of become this versatile monster where he's good at climbing, but his sprints have kind of... And yes, he can still win these sprints in the Giro, which is lacks competition a bit. Milan is by far the fastest sprinter here. 
so on paper he should win the sprint but his positioning sucks and that's not just his team's fault no it's him too yeah it's his problem um okay he'll be favorite for the sprint i'm hoping it'd be great for calf to do it that'd be cool uh but yeah otherwise but that's yeah Derek could, break, it, could a break win it I don't think the break can win, but Derek G's gonna I'm be changing. in the break though. I'm changing. Derek G no. wins this stage. <laughs> Dude, Why you do this to me? <laughs> there's no sprint trains. There's no one here. It's a if if G also Camner's gonna go for Bonies. He's one second behind Lechnerson. Yeah. I reckon there's gonna be some proper racing tomorrow. I I, I think want I think the sprint leadouts are on their knees. There's like two guys. There's Pascal on and. Uh, yeah, that's it. But I think I'm going with G to win. Okay, I'm going to allow you to choose a breakaway because I hope that that happens. I will say I've got some good news for you. You know that your fellow Australian Caleb Ewan won like a random Australian national race, Schwalbe Classic at the start of the year. He's finally won a race again. Did he win one of your random races? One of my random races. It was in the past. It was called the Marcel Kind Classic. Now it's called the Von Merkstein Fences Classic. That's the most <laughs> crazy name I've ever heard. And I don't, I didn't know which race it was from seeing that name. So whatever their plan is with all these changes in their names. Hey, Caleb Ewan won, beat Melier and so forth. So is he back? It's Caleb Ewan back. Um, I think he's still Caleb Ewan. And yeah, I mean, I hope so. I hope so. He's, cause he's had a tough start to the year. Other yeah. news. Chloe Dygert wins her first race in Europe ever, except for the World Championships TT in Harrogate. But she wins her first road stage or road race ever in Europe and ever her, her first ever Women's World Tour race. Kind of crazy because she's in her third year of a Canyon contract. She obviously had the terrible injury after the crash and at 26. This was coming. If you saw her form in uh, Burgos and, and La Vuelta, where she arguably should have picked up a stage, she won stage two yeah. of the Ride London Classic but, in Molden, which is actually um, yes, where your boy used to go. Did I used to? Yeah, go on. Well, I'd look up. Well, wasn't it Guildford that you played cricket? Play cricket everywhere, mate. Well, we got a cricket champion over here. Nah, not, no, no, not that oh. Molden. I was the okay. other Molden. Yeah, you were Molden by it. Anyway. I was old Molden in Worcester Park. I've seen that half the peloton has crashed in Ride London. I have to rewatch the, the two stages so far to catch up on all the racing, though. But hopefully no one's too injured in that. I feel like Balsamo had a pretty rough injury. I think um, it, I've got no clue what body part she broke, but there was a fracture involved. So unfortunately, she's going to be out for a bit. Hopefully she returns by the time the Tour de France farm happens. Yeah. But she definitely won't be riding the Giro Don, which arrives at the start of the Tour. Yeah, it's the first week of the men's Tour de France is Mate, the Giordana. They just announced the parkour a month before the race. Crazy. How fucked Crazy. is that? I mean, yeah, a little bit tough to prepare for, I would say. Anyway, <laughs> big day. <laughs> I feel I feel flat. I feel weird. I feel weird after all because I I didn't think. Yeah, the ups and downs. I'm gonna go rewatch the final now just to take it all in. Um, but yeah, uh, I, at least we got a great end to this Giro d'Italia, Benji. Obviously, thoughts with Grant Thomas, even in second. Unbelievable level and performance from him. 
second is still better than I think most people expected he would do with the lineup at this Giro and even his own teammate Teo maybe being a little bit better than him. So no shame in defeat for him at all. He was classy in the interview afterwards. And I'll be interested to see uh, what he kicks on to doing because even though he turned 37, he's in his best ever shape. Just yep. penned a new two-year extension, I think, with Ineos, the rumor is. Well, I think he's, he's still on. And the Giro, I think we might see him back at the Giro next year because it really suits him more than the other races, I think, the other Grand Tours. But the winner of the day, Primoz Roglic, historic stage, the um, erasing some of the pain of that Planche de Belfie loss, winning the Giro on the final mountain TT. The script writers couldn't have done it better. Slovenian fans happy in Monte Lusari, <laughs> praying, I'm sure, in the sanctuary or the uh, afterwards. But until tomorrow's sprint recap, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 